Hello and welcome to another edition of Editing Aloud. My name is Sumei Zaki. Joining me at the desk today is Lucanio Tisetso as well as Karen. Thank you guys for joining me at the desk. So let's start off, um, Karen. I mean, you've been um, following some stories, in particular with the NPA and its presentations that it's going to be making to Parliament. What's happening on that front? Well, what's fascinating is that it's emerged over the last few days just how what dire financial straits um, South Africa's law enforcement bodies are in, particularly the prosecuting authority. We know last week the Hawks saying that they had, you know, presented over, you know, 1,800 closed dockets to the NPA to make a determinations on whether they would prosecute. But Shamita Batoy revealing that, you know, the, the National Prosecuting Authority is in such dire financial straits that it would possibly have to consider cutting, you know, five. 500 positions in circumstances where 600 prosecutors have actually left the NPA. Now, given the kind of public hunger there is for justice to be done in many of these very high-profile alleged corruption scenarios, it very much seems that the NPA is trying to fight a battle with both its, its hands tied behind its back, its back. We also know that SIU, which is the body which is mandated to recover um, you know, money irregularly spent um, by, in state contracts, is also battling. I think it only managed to recover 52 million rand given that it's now identified several billion rand as possible, um, you know, the, the consequences of irregular expenditure, etc. And saying that, you know, it's owed 500, half a billion rand by government itself because of its funding model. And then, of course, the asset forfeiture unit also facing potentially crippling litigation from Andrew Phillips, the, the owner of um, the grant, in terms of its forfeiture or its seizure, which was then reversed, of two of his properties. So these key institutions in an environment where it's pivotal for, law, for, for South Africans' constitutional functioning to have you know, adequate law enforcement to see prosecutions coming to court really, really in a very bad financial state. Yeah, I mean, broadly as well, I mean, it's, uh, it's not good, <coughs> sorry, it's not good for Ramaphosa's new dawn. I mean, this is yet another false dawn because if you don't have, um, you know, the resources to clean up as he, as he has pledged, then it's, it's a problem and people in frustration are, are going to grow, I mean, both from the business side and also from uh, people that voted him in. I think the sort of frustration is sort of just another sign of how things don't seem to change, even though we are able to actually identify the problems. I mean, I remember Karen writing this, this story like a year ago already. Yes, about, exactly you know, the same story. <laughs> you know, it's just got worse. It's got, it's, but it's just gotten worse, and actually, you know, nothing's actually been done about it. And then, and then in the same time, we all like we'll be hearing all these commissions and, and everybody saying we want prosecutions, we want prosecutions. I mean, can you actually imagine this institution being able to win any case? I mean, we've done some cases that Karen has written about as well that where they where they've actually dropped, you know, like the Estina case that sort of fell apart. And then what does another, I mean, there was another one that also fell yeah, apart. Yeah, there have been numerous yeah, cases. Sorry. I mean, the problem was that for a while there were cases, for instance, against people like Robert McBride um, and various other various other individuals, Glynis Breitenbach, um, those kind of things that really on the, on the face of it and were subsequently either dropped or she was acquitted. Um, you know, their conjecture from the accused in all of those cases was simply this was a political decision. So that is, that is one of the unfortunate things is that in a kind of resource-strapped environment that there were decisions made to pursue certain cases that manifestly, you know, proved to, to be baseless. And the NPA is now in a situation where it's going to have to be very, very strategic about the cases it does pursue. And also be mindful of the fact that if you have to make a choice between an, a, a sort of VBS prosecution with the political repercussions of that and a Steinhoff prosecution, 
where you're going to go and what kind of backlash are you going to face. So they, the resource constraints are going to push the kind of political, you know, the kind of politics of decision making. And my fear is that there will be such anxiety around being perceived to make the wrong decision that it may well hold them back from doing what they need to do in some respects. Mm. I mean, it's quite a scary thought to think about it. I mean, you think the kind of resources like somebody like Marcus Houston has, and, and, uh, and you can imagine then him going against a prosecutor from the mm. NPA. And just, just, just the resource sort of like, you know, gap, it's a bit like, what happened under the Zuma administration with the Richard and Bluely case, with a lot of cases, up until that situation with Richard and Bluely, we hadn't had scenarios where, you know, people were really fighting over decisions to prosecute or not to prosecute. But once the, the authority of the NPA became eroded and people no longer trusted it, we saw more and more and more of this litigation. You've decided to prosecute me, I'm going to take you on review. And that has meant that the NPA NPA has pushed major levels of resource to fight for the right to prosecute, yeah. often in scenarios where, you know, there were real question marks about why was this decision made. But it's permeated the entire functioning of the justice system. And Lucanio is right. If someone has resources, they can take the NPA's decision to prosecute them on review. They can drag it out for years. And there's a real question mark about whether there'll ever be justice. And that's a real problem for the functioning of a constitutional democracy. Mm. You spoke about the, the authority of the NPA um, kind of being weakened. Do you think it can ever be restored given the situation that we're in right now? Well, I mean, it's, it's really a case of getting a conviction, getting convictions, yeah. getting sentences in processes that the public are able to see this is fair, this is, there's clearly work gone into this, um, and there's public faith in it. I don't think, you know, this NPA can talk all at once. And I think there is, there are substantive sh uh, signs, like for instance, with the Han Boysen decision, that Jamila Batoy is well aware of the kind of pressures on her. She used a review panel to make a decision. She clearly went by the book because she was expecting yeah. pushback. And she made a decision that, you know, I think she would believe can stand any form of legal scrutiny. But in the minds of the public who are so exhausted and frustrated by the levels of corruption that they see, the only things really going to start changing their minds is convictions and sentences. Yeah. Um, okay, so let's move on. Um, Kwebane also in Parliament um, later, later today. Any um, key things you're expecting to see from her? Corin, this is your... Oh, well, obviously, the, the big... I'm trying not to dominate this conversation because my mother's always like, you need to be quiet. No, I think the NPA and do the potential. Yeah. Like, you know, when the Reserve Bank comes in, yeah, all the of it. Um, so, no, I mean, obviously, she... What's interesting with her is she's facing the exact same resource constraints as the NPA and various other entities are, which is not helped by the fact that literally every second report that she's doing is now being taken on legal review because it's not considered to, you know... You know, I think at one stage her office said they were facing all these reviews. I think it was in that, you know, it was, it was quite a significant amount. But also that people were not abiding by the remedial action because there seems to be a real question mark over her authority, which given the Encandler judgment, which Tuli Madansela obtained, which said, you know, you have, to, you have to act, you know, abide by the remedial action unless you get a review overturning it. Um, you know, I, I expect her to vocalize a lot of that. We heard her last week saying that, you know, because of the SARS investigation, she's been the target of a so-called poisoning plot. Um, we also expect a, a lot of her talking about the impact of all the, this litigation on her funding, which is already constrained. So I think we may see her making an appeal to Parliament for, for, 
for more money. And then, of course, you know, the big question marks over the um, yet-to-be-released report on, on President Sora Ramaphosa and the Bosasa um, donation. I expect that, you know, some of the opposition MPs may, may ask questions about that. But given that the DA was the genesis of that complaint and the EFF clearly supports it, I'm not sure who those opposition mm. MPs may be. <laughs> Actually, my, my comment here is, is really more like a, uh, of a question sort of aimed at Karen here. Because Karen, the very first you mentioned, her, her, her resource What's what about what I'm looking for? Constraints. Yeah. But I think for people out there who are watching all these things going on, what's happening with the, with internal ANC struggles, that her choice of cases is interesting, isn't it? When you look at the case, or the cases that you've written about that haven't been pursued and that have been sitting there like gathering dust, but there seem to be like complete like commitment and zealousness and in. in Chasing a couple, most notably like the Gordon one, and <laughs> yeah. what, what, what's, what's behind that? <laughs> well, I mean, I actually put that question to her at the press conference because I said, you know, the fact of the matter is, is that you know, you you've you've handed over the state capture cases, the Gupta cases, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, to you know the the commission. Um, there may be a perception that you know that you're focusing on cases, you know, in factional politics in in terms of the cases that you're pursuing. And she said, no, that's not the case, that she's got investigations into Batabili Late Lamini. And she said, Karen, for your information, they will be out soon. Nomvula Mokonyane, Esma Gashule, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. The fact of the matter is none of those cases have, come, have been produced yet. The other thing that's interesting is that, you know, while there was a decision to hand over state capture matters, the Ramaphosa matter is linked to Bosasa, and the one aspect of the investigation into Gordon is, is linked to a meeting with the Guptas. So it's quite difficult to see why those two issues then fell within her ambit, or she didn't believe that that was appropriate, particularly with Ramaphosa, who is investigating that anyway. We know he's asked um, Ramaphosa, uh, uh, Zondor has asked Ramaphosa to come and give evidence about this donation issue. I mean, she would probably argue that it's an executive ethics code violation and she's mandated to investigate it. But because of the lack of any kind of substantive movement against um, Zwane and Magashule and others and the court judgment that actually found that she failed to really do her job in terms of accessing bank records, phone records, all those kind of things in that matter, because she said she didn't have the resources to do so, but could do so in the Ramaphosa matter. That, you know, even if, she's, if she has every reasonable explanation for that, on a perception level, given that a finding of reasonable apprehension of bias has already been made against her in the Reserve Bank matter, that certainly is, is, is concerning. Does the um, Ramaphosa, Busasa and Kobani kind of issue put um, lead us into a possible constitutional crisis, do you think? Look, I think we are in a constitutional crisis in that there's so many question marks. You know, the, the very fact that she says that people are ignoring her office's mm -hmm. remedial action, that she's literally spending huge amounts of time and money in and out of courtrooms. But isn't, I mean, they're ignoring because they've taken these things on, on review, I assume. No, you, not just they? in cases with, with, with ignoring, uh, with review. In cases where they haven't, where they simply just, well, we're not listening to this. Um, so, you know, we had this incredible strengthening of the Office of the Public Protector through the Encandler Judgment, which um, Advocate Mkobani often quotes in letters to President Ramaphosa into, in her court papers to say you need to, like, abide and there's, uh, there's a review and this is an order, etc. Um, but, you know, it's, it's, not, it's not playing itself out in terms of people listening to her. And, you know, she may well paint herself as a kind of victim of, of her own vision of political machinations, but 
the unfortunate thing is that there have been a number of court judgments that have said there is a there is can be a reasonable suspicion of bias. She's now trying to overturn a personal cost order against her in the Reserve Bank matter. She has a very damning Estina judgment um, against her of a failure to properly investigate people like Musa Benzizwane, Ace Magashule. Minister Quinty, as he then was, made the major step of interdicting the release of a report before it was even hit the streets. And that is the first of its kind. So clearly there's a problem here. Clearly it needs to be resolved. And, and whether Parliament chooses to deal with it or not, it's clear that there needs to be some kind of reckoning or, or dealing with it for her sake as well as everyone else's. So let's pick up on the, the Reserve Bank story, which I think is, uh, is the front page of the Business Day um, today. Um, Tisiso or Lucanio, your, your thoughts on... Um, what the bank is trying to ward off there? Yeah. Uh, you know, like uh, I suppose the, the, the context here is that now I think this time next week the, the bank will start the MPC meeting, which is a three-day meeting. I mean, all things being equal, actually, like or just on a purely technical level, I mean, this, this meeting, actually, everything seems to be set up for a rate cut of some sort. I mean, like inflation has actually been behaving quite well. The rent has actually been up quite a bit, 5% the last month or so. I mean, we've had central banks in Europe talking about doing more. Quantity easing or quantitative easing, as we like to know it. Which obviously is putting like, put pressure on bond deals in Europe, yeah. attracting money into the South Africa. I mean, the Fed is under its own pressure. There's the people expecting rates in the US to, 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 to come down maybe as early as this month. So everything is on a technical level is actually quite set for, for a rate cut of some sort. But in South Africa, it's never that simple. You know, this meeting happens within like a context of big political debates about the bank's independence, around its mandate, I mean, even the unrelated one around its ownership. So, and we had the Deputy Finance Minister last week saying, you know, like, we, we, they should be discussing or there should have been a debate about the appropriateness of, like, of, of current monetary policy. And the bank has really been pushing hard against that, saying, you know, like, the people should, I mean, should, I mean it's there, the, the bank is supposed to be independent and, 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 and it's got a clear mandate and people wanted to get it broader and broader. And I think what, what Kuben Naidu is, is trying to put in this interview is that the, the idea that the bank does not consider growth and unemployment in its decision is actually wrong. Then that does affect it. it doesn't say so in the constitution, but the constitution is quite clear. They're supposed to like protect the value of the rent in the interest mm. of stable What's the word I'm looking at? Balance and stable growth. I think that, that the exact wording is. So their argument is that, that that is broad enough for them to consider all kinds of factors. And I think that that's what it's trying to put there, trying to you know, push away this, this political debate around it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it is good to see that um, Kuben Naidu is you know, hammering the message that's been said for a couple of, for a couple of weeks ago that this, the, the Reserve Bank is independent, um, reasserting its uh, autonomy. It's good to see. I mean, what you don't want is situations where you know politicians end up you know getting involved um, in the independence of the bank like we've seen uh, in Turkey for example mm -hmm. where the the central bank there was fired because you know frankly did not do what the president wanted him to do mm -hmm. which is a similar story in the in the US where you have um, Trump yeah. Yeah, uh, saying what the the Fed doesn't know what it's what it's doing or something like that. So, I mean, yeah. that's one of the ironies as well. Like in this, in that I think like, I think it's a similar kind of situation here. We're actually on a on a purely technical on based on economic data. The Fed might actually decide this is a good time to cut rates, yeah. but it's really difficult for them to do it in the context where Donald Trump is shouting at them to do it because yeah. then it looks like that yeah. Jay Powell is actually yeah. bound to pressure rather than yeah. actually like using them the, the, his or her own models like. 
Because central banks should, that's why they should be really be left alone to set, to set, yes. to set interest rates and then government can pursue what it yeah. is to pursue in terms of, monetary, in terms of fiscal policy. Yeah. And when, they, when, when, say, yeah, when, when, when politicians like, get involved, then, then it's hard to put them in a difficult position. Mm. I think one point I would make, for example, some people might argue that you know, with our central bank, that they did a high rates in November last year. 25 basis points and some people argue that's that that was a mistake that should be reversed so if, if they cut by 25 basis points this week that that would only be really be a reversal of that hike and some people might argue that's not really then a cut maybe he should go further to 50 75 basis points but now can you imagine him doing 50 basis points now two yeah. weeks after like a politician has said like yeah. rates are too high or implied that maybe rates are too high it makes puts him in a very difficult position yeah i just it's, wanted to sorry yeah it's that whole thing yeah. of like you need technocrats within government who are left alone to do what they need to do mm. without political interference because these are very technocratic decisions that are being made. This is not, well, as soon as you have a sense of a, a reserve bank or a, you know, a central bank not being independent, exactly what Lucanio is speaking about happens because you need to have a sense of, you know, the markets need to have a sense of certainty that these guys are making decisions according to what they believe tech, you know, in, a, in a sort of technical um, financial sense is in the best interest of the market. What was also fascinating is one of the, one of the reports that um, Advocate in Pubani got in the most trouble about was this attempt to change the constitutional mm -hmm. mandate of the Reserve Bank from no longer being about the protection of the currency, yeah. but you know, to the rights of, of the poor, et cetera, et cetera. And you know, that the Reserve Bank came back against that very, very strongly. She, of course, reversed that almost immediately because she acknowledged that she didn't have the power to make that kind of remedial action. But certainly this political onslaught on the Reserve Bank, on its mandate, on what it should be doing and who it should be listening to has been an ongoing issue. And I, don't th I think this kind of site of contestation is going to continue for quite some time. But is there anything wrong with uh, debating the mandate of the bank? I mean, shouldn't we be talking about it because it is an important pillar of the South African economy if it has to contribute to some extent to job creation, if there is scope for that, shouldn't we be talking about it? Uh, look mm. at I mean, I think I, th I think we should, but I, but I also think we talk too much about it. I, mean, I we think do, the we, difficulty we was, was with, with the Magashule situation was that a message was put out that this was ANC policy mm -hmm. when in fact, and then it was reversed. Yeah. And so there was I think the issue is not about the discussion. I think the issue is about policy incoherence, particularly mm. within the ANC, about what they believe should be happening. Mm. And I think that, yes, the debate is well, well worth it. But we all know that markets are skittish. South Africans' mm. economy, is, South Africa's economy is, is on somewhat of a knife edge. You know, we keep hoping it's going to get better. But when politicians and when people in power articulate certain messages about such a crucial institution, then retract it, it yeah. makes everyone skittish because markets like certainty, mm -hmm. and this is not very certain. I, mean, I think also, I think most people would appreciate that there are a lot of reasons why South Africa isn't growing. There is a lot of reasons mm -hmm. why the economies are creating jobs, yeah. and monetary policy would probably be at the bottom of that list. Yeah. I mean, this is a bit of a diversion, really. Yeah. And like, I think most people accept yeah. that. And so, so like, as, as, as an investor out there, when people start talking about the Reserve Bank, ownership and, and these kind of things. I mean, you know, that's not really what the debate is about. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, you know, like, you know, you know there is something else like what's yeah. what you want to use, a Trojan horse or whatever it yeah, is. Yeah. So it does create like a lot of uncertainty, a lot of worry about what is actually behind, what, what is the real agenda? Because the real agenda is not really about boosting growth. Mm -hmm. If we wanted to boost growth, we'd be fixing other things. We'd be mm -hmm. fixing 
telecommunications policy, we'll be fixing immigration policy, we'll be fixing land policy. Mm -hmm. So many other things that need to be fixed, education, health, you name it, mm -hmm. you know, that could, yeah. that, that could give this economy a lift. Yeah. Monetary policy is probably going to be the least effective in terms of fixing those things. So when, when we like focus and obsess on the Reserve Bank, it's not necessarily because you know, it's going actually going to make any big difference. Mm -hmm. yeah. uh, moving on to another story that's in the business day, I don't have a, a copy with me now, but um, the PIC inquiry and um, the, the, the latest with regards to, I think it was Majila? Um, yeah, um, I mean, his, uh, his, his, his testimony was highly um, anticipated because, I mean, he was uh, at the head, was running the show at the, the PIC, uh, I think between 2015 or 2014 and, 20, and last year. So, you know, people want to hear from him as to what exactly happened there. Um, so he, you know, he's come out, he, he said that, um, you know, he faced pressure, I think it was yesterday's testimony, he faced pressure from politicians to push through certain deals. Um, so we, we'll have to see um, what's... Uh, yeah. It's definitely been the most anticipated uh, yeah. testimony for a while. I don't know whether, like, maybe for this commission in particular, but maybe not so... I was going to say for other commissions, but I think Jacob Zuma will... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I was getting, I was getting we'll into that. Yeah, so, 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 yeah. so that's not completely accurate. Yeah. But, it, but it's been quite interesting, of course. I mean... I, mean, I think the last couple of days, he hasn't really gone into details on some of the deals that were approved yeah. during his time in office. I mean, a lot of deals have been questioned. I mean, I mean the most recently was the Edcon one, yeah. where yeah. Like, the PSC, like stepped in. And I think like, his argument is that, is, is, that, is that that's probably what led to his downfall, is, is that he felt this was, a, this was a politically motivated rather than a commercially motivated thing. And, and, and I mean, Cosato has been on the record that they, that, that they did get in touch with the, with the former deputy chair, or the former deputy minister of finance. So there is like that, that, that kind of level of political pressure, but obviously there are other deals, that questionable deals that he approved of that, that he hasn't discussed yet. Yes. I mean, like deals mm. like IO and that kind of thing. So it'll be interesting yeah. to see. Yeah. I suppose we'll know by the time the show is out. But yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 All right, so we, we, we brought up the Zuma um, um, visit um, in this building next yes, week. Yes. Um, what are the expectations? Well, we know that I think Last time I heard there are about six busloads of people who are expected to be arriving from KwaZulu Natal. Apparently, they're going to have a um, they've they've hired or they're going to use the park across the road from this building to gather. Um, we know that the inquiry has tried to uh, provide certain documents to to Zuma's lawyers that they're not taking receipt of. They've effectively stopped communicating with the inquiry. So. We have What's a potential little time bomb. Yeah. Um, I, you know, th their whole issue was they wanted the questions pre before before the hearing. The inquiry said, no, you're not entitled to the questions. You have the statements of the people that implicate you. That should be enough. The lawyer said, well, if you want him to meaningfully um, prepare himself, then he needs these questions. So clearly, there's been a kind of basis for for I, I I expect you know an argument to be made. Well, you know, you can't expect me to answer these questions. I'm you know I don't know all the details of what you're saying. It was 2010 with Fakey, et cetera, et cetera. But I also think um, you know this Jacob Zuma is a man with nothing to lose, and I expect he will use this as an opportunity to vocalize what he has been vocalizing for quite some time now that he simply doesn't regard the, the state capture inquiry as legitimate, perceives it as biased against him, serving the cause of unknown masters. Mm -hmm. And I think that, you know, it's, it's going to be one of the most uh, profound standoffs in the history of this inquiry. They've always previously dealt with fairly uh, non-hostile witnesses. They've always prepared. 
and they're dealing with the total unknown quantity on Monday. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I guess also because he's always maintained that um, and there's nothing linking Anything, him yeah. to him to the state capture. So, I mean, he might even use um, yesterday's uh, testimony by Bruce Kolani that what he did was simply name drop. Um, this is the budget cloth lending, the <laughs> yeah. one that... Well, yeah, yes, exactly. Yes. Yeah, I mean that, that's actually been that's a big story that sort of led to everybody. That's sort of burst this whole yeah. state capture thing to the open, yeah. didn't it? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, and he's you know he's absolutely right. Like he has said, I don't believe that I'm implicated in anything. But I mean, there's such interesting. I mean, one of the more interesting things that I'm you know that I think the inquiry and I hope at one stage he answers questions. But particularly this issue of the intelligence report that was used to fire. Um, the then finance minister, Krabin mm -hmm. Gordon, the Bosasa donations for his birthday party, um, this, you know, and he's admitted to it as, you know, he's been very open to us in interviews that he, he did believe in a nuclear deal with Russia. He thought it was the best course of action for us. So there's a lot of stuff that, you know, I think, you know, South Africa would want to hear from him on. But he has made it clear that, you know, he wants a forum where he can articulate exactly how this entire state capture inquiry has become, you know, this kind of, Miss, you know, this, this, this kind of manipulated, politicized thing that is being used to attack him. So whether or not those, those questions around yeah. the allegations get answered, I, I honestly can't speculate on. All right, we wait in anticipation for next week for those uh, busloads of people across, across the park. Um, be sure to join us for our analysis of those proceedings next week.